Oscars versus Iowa. Did tactical voting help Parasite and Mayor Pete? Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we have a very interesting topic to discuss, and that's about voting. So in a previous life, before I was a lawyer, I was an economics major. And one of my favorite things to discuss was game theory and public choice voting particularly. And that's really the study of how different voting systems can operate to have wins and losses for various parties and groups and preferences amongst an entire uh, majority of people. And yesterday saw an absolutely historic win in the Academy Awards when Parasite, the happy-go-lucky film where two families just don't quite see eye to eye, won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Now, it also happened to be the first time in history that that particular award went to a foreign language film. Every other Academy Award for Best Picture has gone to a film primarily in English. There can be scenes with subtitles and things along those lines, but the primary language was English until last night. And so with this story, and I'm looking at a Hollywood Reporter article called Historic Parasite Win Caps and Oscars Show Dedicated to Inclusion, where they talk about the various winners and losers of the night. But in that win, I thought it was very interesting to really kind of reflect on the last couple of years of Oscar, because it's only 10 years ago now, in 2009, that they changed their voting system. Not for all of their nominations, and that's actually going to be part of what we discuss today, but only for Best Picture. The Hollywood Reporter has a good article from last year that talks a little bit about how this came to be, and I found it interesting. It says, in its top category, the Academy uses a system designed so that the most liked, but not necessarily the most popular film, prevails which isn't the most helpful opening line. It's a little bit confusing, right? But basically what they are trying to say is when they say most popular, it's the thing that everybody likes the best. That doesn't necessarily win. Instead, the way this voting system works, and we're going to look at exactly how it operates. We're also going to look at a pretty good Wikipedia article about it that reflects a lot of what I learned when I was discussing and, and learning about public choice theory and game theory in my economics classes from way back in the day. We won't put years on that. But... It says you're not going to win just because you have the most number one votes, but you're going to win if a lot of people essentially don't hate you, mostly like you, have you on the top side of their ballot. And we're actually going to talk in this video about how that's actually reflective of the way the Iowa caucuses work. Now, the Iowa caucuses are in the news this last couple weeks, not really because of how their voting system works, but primarily because they had some difficulty on the Democratic side in reporting those votes. But one of the things that made that so difficult this year was that they actually started to report how the caucus goers moved around their various voting preferences. And it gives us some insight as to how that worked and whether there was kind of tactical voting patterns at the caucuses. Now, the caucuses and the Oscars aren't going to line up entirely because you can see in a caucus how various people are lined up. It's not a secret ballot. So those are different kind of circumstances, but they're kind of adjacent. They're tangential to each other. So I wanted to discuss both. Let's take a look at this article to really see exactly how the Oscars wind up voting for Best Picture. It says, predicting the Best Picture Oscar winner with any degree of confidence has become considerably harder over the past decade, and we can thank the Dark Knight for that. This article was written last year, so it doesn't actually reference what happened last year, but we're going to talk about that as well. In 2009, when the Oscar nominations were announced and Christopher Nolan's acclaimed 2008 comic book adaptation was not among the five nominees for Best Picture, 
bounced in all likelihood by a Holocaust movie, The Reader, it sparked outrage that convinced the Academy to take action, which if you follow the Oscars, you know, is no easy thing to do. The organization's board of governors voted to expand the best picture category from five nominees at which it had been capped for 65 years since the year after Casablanca won best picture to 10 in the hopes of increasing the likelihood that a popular film like The Dark Knight would be nominated for the top prize in the future. One of the ongoing stories when we talk about the Oscars and the Academy Awards in general is the question of balancing what the Academy views as artistic merit, which maybe doesn't line up with everybody, or maybe doesn't even line up with the critical class, those people that are reviewing these movies, and those movies that make a ton of money, right? If you follow the Academy Awards, you know that basically none of the top 10 best-selling pictures are probably going to be presented at the Academy Awards, at least not in the major categories. Those are going to be movies like Avengers Endgame. I think some of the other billion-dollar movies are Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker, Aladdin, The Lion King remake. Basically, what Disney releases for the most part, as long as it's not a live-action original, it's probably going to be on that list. And Disney was very much promoting all of its movies, including Disney Plus and its new slate for 2020, all throughout the Oscars. But while the Academy likes to evaluate specifically on artistic merit in their eyes, they also want people to watch their award show. And so they have to have movies represented and discussed and references that people actually saw. And so it was in these hopes that they advanced the entire group to 10. With the expansion of the Best Picture category, the Academy also changed the voting method to determine the winner. The organization realized that a polarizing film could, in a year in which votes were really spread around, conceivably win with the support of only a small percentage of members, and that seemed wrong. So in order to understand that, you need to understand that the nomination process, that vote, is not the same as the winning process, that vote. There's essentially two separate votes that happen. You get the list of Best Picture nominees nominated from a vote of everybody, and then the people vote on that specific five to ten nominees. So what they were worried about is if there are ten or nine or eight, some some number that's significant, you could have one picture win with something like 15, 19% of the vote, a plurality, the highest vote getter, but not what we would consider representative if they actually showed these numbers as the best picture of the year. It would essentially be a divided caucus or a divided vote, and they wanted to avoid that, so they came up with a system says, a film like 2011's The Tree of Life, for instance, was, in my judgment, beloved by some members, this is the judgment of the author here, but strongly disliked by many more. It was polarizing. It ended up losing to the artist, but it could have won had the Academy not implemented a form of voting for the best picture category only that it had previously employed pre-1944 when it had last had more than five nominees for best picture. That system, brought back in 2009 and still employed to this day, is referred to as the preferential ballot. Now, preferential ballot is not a very specific term here. One of the ways that you'll see this referred to in the U.S. in particular is instant runoff voting. And we're going to talk about why it's called that, but we're also going to talk about exactly what happens here. It says, how does it work? Members are asked to rank all of the best picture nominees from best to worst, and then the rest is handled by the accountants, the Academy's longtime accountants, Price Waterhouse Cooper. PWC begins by sorting through the best picture ballots and creating piles for each film listed in the top spot on a ballot. This year, for example, this was last year, there will be one pile in which Roma is listed as top film and another for Green Book, etc. Unless a single film dominates by appearing in the number one spot of more than 50% of all ballots. So if you win a clear majority, you win. Because you want a majority, there's really no work left to be done. 
but it can be difficult to do in a field of eight nominees or nine nominees or 10 nominees. PWC then removes the film that has the smallest pile of number one votes. So you've got these eight or nine or 10 separate piles and they count them up and the loser, the one with the least amount of votes that just gets removed. But to ensure that the film supporters still have some influence on the outcome, PWC redistributes the ballots in that pile according to which film each ballot lists as its number two choice. So you've got this pile of ballots. You've got the last place film. Those ballots are then evaluated for whatever is in number two and then are added to the number two pile. This process can continue for several rounds. The film with the smallest pile of ballots is eliminated and its ballots are redistributed according to its second place choice or third place choice if the second film has already been eliminated and so on. That continues until one film's pile accounts for more than 50% of all ballots. So it's iterative, right? You have to go through this until one pile is at least 50%. And some of the actual specifics here aren't detailed. It's difficult to say to see whether the denominator stays the same if somebody just kind of drops off. They say if a voter only lists three titles, but those three titles are eliminated before tallying is finished, then that ballot is simply discarded and has no influence on subsequent rounds of voting. Presumably that implies, if they really are doing it physically, like this article seems to suggest, that the denominator is changed, that 50% becomes a smaller number when you run out of options on given ballots. But it's it's not entirely clear that that's what happens. So we'll, we'll pretend that isn't the case because it matters, right? If the denominator stayed the same when you stopped listing things, that you essentially list the three that you care about and then you don't want the five that follow to get any kind of award, then you could potentially wind up in a situation where somebody doesn't get 50% if everybody did that. And so I'm sure that's not what the Academy wants to do. I'm sure that's what they would never do for their actual show. They'd probably have an email that goes around and correct for it. But ultimately, that question is very technical and doesn't matter for what this does. What this does is it advantages a kind of generally liked and most importantly, not offensive movie to the top of the list right? Because when you have a voting system like this, what happens? The eighth spot, the seventh spot, and the sixth spot are very unlikely to ever make their way to a given pile. So you've got this strategic opportunity, if you're an Academy voter, to say, I will never ever advocate for, let's say, a Netflix film to win Best Picture. So the Irishman and Marriage Story, they go right at the bottom of your ballot in the seven and eight spots. Or I never want a foreign language film to win Best Picture. So Parasite goes right at the end of your ballot. You get all of these strategic opportunities and you also have a middle road strategic opportunity, right? Because of the way this works, you're essentially always battling the survivors of the last the, the last first place vote setup. So if this ever gets sophisticated enough, one thing that you might see happen is you might see various movie studios align to avoid putting the ones that they don't like, the ones that they don't want to go against, the strongest potential alternatives to what they view their film as being, they don't want them to get enough first place votes to survive a round or two or three. So if you know that you're going to like it, you don't want to look like you're strategically voting or tactically voting, you put it in the second spot or the third spot or the fourth spot, even if it's your favorite of the year, because you want that film eliminated and they are being eliminated based on the number one votes that they receive. And if you can eliminate it earlier, if you think it's a strong competitor, you're going to have an advantage there. Now, I don't think that that's what happened here. We're going to talk about why, but it's worth noting that when you talk about a voting system, there are always going to be wins and losses and things that are accomplished by that voting system and things that are not. 
If you're interested in this particular voting system, as I said, it's generally called instant runoff voting. The Wikipedia entry, which I don't always recommend Wikipedia as a source, but for this particular entry, it's very informative. So we'll link it in the description of the video as we always do. But please do check it out because they've got a lot of good links and they talk a lot about what this is. It says instant runoff voting is a type of ranked preferential voting method used in single seat elections with more than two candidates. Now, this is all framed as a political election kind of discussion, but it's absolutely what the Oscars are doing. And that's exactly how Parasite got voted in. It says instead of indicating support for only one candidate, Voters in instant runoff voting elections can rank the candidates in order of preference. Balance are initially counted for each voter's top choice. And if a candidate has more than half of the vote based on first choices, that candidate wins. If not, then the candidate with the fewest votes is eliminated. The voters who selected the defeated candidate as the first choice then have their votes added to the totals of their next choice. That is what is happening with the academy process. This process continues until a candidate has more than half of the votes. When the field is reduced to two, it has become the instant runoff that gives this its title. If you're familiar with an instant runoff kind of concept or a runoff in general, you know that if somebody doesn't in a specific jurisdiction get to 50%, if it's not a majority of the voters that voted for this person, then they eliminate candidates until it's down to two. And then a majority has to result unless it's a straight up tie. And that's viewed as a more significant indicator of resolve and approval for that candidate in a political election or any other kind of election. We deal with this a lot in corporate law, right? I am a lawyer by, by day. Uh, and we deal a lot with kind of trying to figure out exactly where the holes are in governance policy when we talk about kind of oddly organized boards of directors at the corporate level or other kind of voting con- constituencies when we've got different shareholders with different preferences and different voting rights that we have to consider exactly how they can be gamed, how it can be strategic, how it can be tactical. And every given voting kind of concept has wins and losses in these categories. As I said in this article, it's got a lot of good stuff. It talks a lot about how this works, how you can find various holes in the thing. It also talks about satisfied and non-satisfied criteria, which is very philosophical, and I'm not going to bore you with all this, but it's really interesting to see. And one of the things that is kind of the primary method of evaluating whether something like this works is the Condorcet loser and winner criteria. And so that says that this satisfies the loser criteria that says if a candidate would lose a head-to-head competition against every other candidate, then that candidate must not win the overall election. It satisfies that criteria. Of course it does, because if it wound up having only two nominees, you'd have a voting situation where the winner is the one with the most votes. So it wouldn't lose a head-to-head to every opponent because it obviously won the last one. But what it doesn't meet, and this is interesting, is it says if a candidate would win a head-to-head competition against every other candidate, then that candidate must win the overall election. That isn't satisfied, right? When you talk about these very elaborate kind of uh, multi-tiered organizational methods of voting, you can get into situations where essentially the, the muddy middle, various majority constituencies can beat various minority constituencies in terms of voting just based on the way they are organized. And when, and when one party is eliminated, even if, let's say, it had uh, all of the second place votes but had the fewest number of first place votes, that gets eliminated right off the bat in the first ballot, even if it would have won in kind of a general election standpoint if it made it past that first ballot. And that's an odd kind of circumstance to consider, right? It's everybody's second favorite choice. It doesn't seem likely. And yet when we talk about the Iowa caucuses, which we're going to talk about at the end of this video, we'll see that it does appear that there are circumstances where one person or one film or one party can basically be everybody's second favorite compromise choice. 
And this is a voting system that can have deleterious effect for those kinds of folks. Now, absent that really extreme example, the hope would be that this kind of preference voting setup would wind up with basically an allowance for that kind of general like likeness and have them win the day. As we see in comparison to other voting methods, the other thing worth noting here, and again, this entire article is kind of framed as a, as a political discussion rather than what we're talking about, which is, which is movies, which is films, which isn't as important as who's going to set the tax law and who's going to actually regulate things. But we see comparison to first past the post. And first past the post basically means whoever was leading wins, regardless of whether it's a plurality or not. And it says, as a comparison to first past the post, at the Australian federal election in September 2013, which is just a very specific uh, account here, but it generally lines up with what we are told about these voting systems, 135 out of the 150 House of Representative seats, or 90%, were won by the candidate who led on first preferences. The other 15 seats were won by the candidate who placed second on first preferences. So we can talk about all the edge cases, and that's a lot of fun to do. I like talking about extreme examples. I like reducing to the infinite in terms of talking about how these things can look on those very extreme cases. This goes to say, well, that's all well and good, but for the most part, the leader wins. And if it's not the leader, it's the second place winner. Now, one thing I would point out here is that while we can talk about this from a political landscape kind of setup, and that makes sense because that's where most voting occurs in the world, it doesn't necessarily make sense when we're talking about films, right? A lot of this discussion, if you go and you look at this link and you, and you read all of this, and I really do recommend it, it's really well done uh, for Wikipedia, but a lot of it talks about essentially people that are aligned, candidates that are aligned, right? There can be an extreme Republican and a slightly more moderate Republican and then a centrist and then a Democrat and then an extreme Democrat and then a progressive. And for the most part, you can kind of position these people on a spectrum. And so the strategic voting initiatives make sense if you want kind of the moderate to win, uh, uh, but the the extreme side of the other end is your least favorite, et cetera, et cetera. And those are all very good you know, conversations. They're very important to study. It's one of the reasons I looked at them when I was in college and when I was writing these papers on these various things. I actually wrote a paper, if you can believe it, about the last vote in the first season of Survivor to talk about how the jury pool operated and how the various voting mechanisms might have been improved with some kind of ordinal ranking between the various three nominees, all these kinds of things. I, you know, I was a nerd and I love this stuff. Uh, I loved Survivor in the first days uh, and talking about voting and voting preferences. But when we talk about movies, it's not as clear, right? There isn't really a spectrum between Parasite and 1917, and Joker, and Marriage Story. They're all very different types of nominees. They might represent certain things. They might represent something like Netflix's encroachment on traditional movie making. Or with respect to a Joker, they might represent some kind of political message that you like or that you don't like. And the same with Parasite, really. But they overall aren't on a spectrum. Whether you're voting for a comedy or a drama or a drama with comedy elements and all these various things, they're a little bit more kind of internal, a little bit more emotional than just kind of looking at the political spectrum and what various policies these various nominees are going to advocate for. So I think when we kind of look at that, it's less likely to be straight up tactical or strategic and kind of trying to make your winner the obvious winner and then settling for something that is still on your end of the quote unquote film spectrum 
while eliminating the ones that you don't like. But it's also possible. And I think what you wind up having is a kind of muddy middle. You wind up getting a, an almost random outcome that we might not anticipate. So when they say something like, hey, 90% of first choice uh, votes get in and the rest are all second place votes, I don't think that actually helps us when we're talking about movies. And one of the reasons I think that that comes up, and one of the reasons I think that that is becoming more clear, so I've got an article here from The New Yorker that says, why bother having separate Oscars for Best Picture and Best Director? I really want to read the intro here because I think it's worthwhile to note. And this was something that you could rely on for years and years and years and years and years. I follow these things kind of from afar with bemused detachment. I don't really care necessarily who wins the awards, but I'm always amused and interested in seeing how giant bodies decide on these various things. So it says, it's a peculiarity of the Academy Awards that the Oscars in two different categories, Best Picture and Best Director, have coincided 64 out of 90 times honoring a movie and its director rather than the director of another film. Now, 64 out of 90 is, is big enough, but it actually says in the parenthetical, since 1953, the awards have coincided 51 out of 64 times. It's almost an 80% uh, coincidence rate, which leads to the question, why even bother having separate categories? Isn't the best picture by definition directed by the best director? Why not, as David Iorick recently asked at IndieWire, just eliminate the best director category? The question isn't idle. An attempt to answer it gets at a matter at the core of the history of cinema. What is directing? And there's an article here that talks about the difference between producing and directing and how films get to come into being and all these various things. But it's worthwhile to note that one of the things that has popped up in the last 10 years since this new voting mechanism, the preferential voting or the instant runoff voting mechanism has been put into place is that the best director and the best movie don't have that 80% coincidence rate. So if we look at 2009, which is the start of all this, Catherine Bigelow wins for The Hurt Locker. And if you look at this list, which is from filmsite.org, the ones with the hashtags or the sharp sign or whatever it is that you want to uh, crosshatch that you want to apply to it. Those are the ones where the director didn't match up with the best winner. And you can see since 2009, we looked through 2009 through 2019, there's been one, two, three, four, five winners of best director that haven't won best picture. So that's 50%, give or take, uh, of a coincidence rate. And so that is a significant statistical deviation from what had been happening for the prior 50 years. Now, obviously, there aren't a lot of data points here. So this is all guesswork. But one thing that is worth noting on this is that the best director is a first-past-the-post system. It doesn't use any of this preferential voting. So given the fact that we know that best director and best picture lined up for long periods of time, had this high coincidence rate, and also given the fact that we now have two separate voting mechanisms, we can start to try to make correlation here. Obviously, this would be easier if they ever released the results, but we can start to make a determination that says, okay, so last year, Kurion won for Roma, but... Green Book won for Best Picture. And in 2016, Chazelle won for La La Land, but Moonlight won for Best Picture. And so forth and so on. And we can start to try to evaluate, is the the preferential voting system changing the outcomes for Best Picture? And I, I think in a lot of circumstances, it would look like it is, right? Roma was a movie that was Netflix exclusive. And Green Book was a relatively innocuous, well-made kind of uh, old school Oscar bait type movie. And it's easy to see that something like Green Book could wind up in the third or fourth place on a lot of ballots of Academy members, whereas something like Roma probably wound up in eighth place on a lot of ballots because there's still a resistance to having Netflix enjoy the kind of 
prestige that it has received in previous award ceremonies. And in fact, you saw, I think, a little bit of that this year where Netflix was all but kind of blown out. They didn't win hardly anything uh, at the Oscars this year. So I think that that resistance is probably still happening, although I don't really think that what they offered was necessarily the best film. So it's like everything else, it's difficult to have these conversations in a vacuum. But similarly, La La Land wins for best director. And I ordinarily would think, okay, movie about making movies, about the difficulties of Hollywood, also set in an old school musical framework. That's probably the movie that winds up with the most kind of broad-based support on a preferential ballot, but it didn't win best picture. Instead, Moonlight won. And I would say Moonlight is probably a harder sell. And so I would have expected that, if anything, to be reversed that the Moonlight director would have won for Best Director and maybe La La Land would have won Best Picture on a preferential ballot. So we don't have kind of good eyes on this kind of thing. What we do have is a bifurcation of Best Director and Best Picture. These two separate voting mechanisms resulting in two separate winners a lot of the time. Now, can we take some of what we saw in the Wikipedia article and probably in other sources at face and say, well, maybe these were all second place? I don't think we can because there isn't that spectrum of films. But when I... When I labeled this video and I said, did tactical voting win the day for Parasite? One of the things I wanted to point out is that while it probably had an effect, it isn't necessarily as kind of obvious or extreme as you might think. After all, Bong Joon-ho won Best Director yesterday. So this is not one of those entries that has one of these little hashtags next to it. The Best Director and the Best Picture matched up which means he straight up won in a first across the post kind of setup. And then they also won on a preferential ballot setup. So I don't think that Parasite's win yesterday was an instance of tactical voting. The evidence that we have, the clues, the the subjective clues, indicate that that probably wasn't the case. So what we've got is a circumstance where I think you had a field that wasn't necessarily the strongest in the history of the Academy. I don't think 2019 really had a standout easy win for anybody. And where you often have that is with some blockbuster that has a critical acclaim to go with it. And that movie last year was Endgame. And obviously, I think everybody that follows the Academy and the Academy Awards setup knows that Endgame was very unlikely to ever win Best Picture from that particular body. And so once that's kind of removed from the equation, you have a lot of very good, but very specifically niche and targeted movies. And I think what happened is that Parasite, which is a very good movie and that which a lot of people liked, uh, a lot of the Academy looked at and said, yeah, this is a this is a good thing. We'll put that as number one or number two or number three. And then when everybody else fell off, you had that kind of majority take over. But it's hard to say. Maybe it got 50% on the first vote because you do have the Bong Joon-ho winning the, the best director in the first instance. The last thing I wanted to talk about here was with respect to the Iowa caucuses. Now, this isn't about the controversy. I don't want to talk about the reporting. I want to talk about what they were doing this year. So this is the very first time that Iowa has actually reported the shift in alignments. So the way the Iowa caucuses work is you go into the room, you caucus for one of your nominees, and if your nominee doesn't have 15%, then you have to move. You have to go to a different nominee, or you can also go to undecided, basically. And before, you, Iowa would only report the, the final results, who the delegates were, what the final kind of second alignment standing was. And unlike when we talk about the Academy Awards or the Oscar winner, you don't have a situation here where there's only one winner. Iowa apportions its delegates, so you get a broad kind of spectrum of support. But this year, they actually wound up reporting what was that first alignment and how it moved. 
And so we can actually start to see how tactical voting looks in Iowa. And this is an article from NPR called How Iowa's Vote Total Shifted from the First Alignment to the Second. They've got a wonderful table here. It says, who benefited most from the two alignment voting process? And we've got here Buttigieg, Sanders, and Warren, as well as uncommitted on the blue side of this of this chart. And that's basically indicating that whatever they got in the first alignment, they increased this much in the second alignment. And you can see Mayor Pete got essentially double the, the next best kind of increase. And you have Yang at the bottom getting the, the biggest negative decrease from the first to second alignment. So we can read into these kind of tables. We can read into what is happening here. So you got somebody like Yang at the bottom, they're true believers only, right? There's really very few people, and we're going to hyperbolize here because we don't know the specifics. We're not using the actual numbers here, but there's very few people on a broad basis in Iowa that have Yang as their second choice. You are Yang or the highway. He's your first choice or I'm out of here. Uh, and so you, you have this big negative reaction uh, when Yang doesn't hit 15% in, in various caucuses versus Mayor Pete, who appears to have a broad level of support for secondly, second position. And you get into a situation here where now all these votes are going to be recounted and recanvassed. And I'm sure Sanders is going to ask for some of this. I think he's already doing it today. But you get into these situations where, you know, somebody like Bernie Sanders has the higher position in the first alignment, would have won a first past the poll type vote. And then the second choice, the broad basis of liking this, gives it to Mayor Pete on this kind of four-point increase on the second alignment. So you do get into these situations where, you know, we have to discuss, is something like the Oscars and their preferential voting voting system, does that actually give us something that is more akin to the will of the majority? Or is there a different method? Is something like Mayor Pete coming out of Iowa with the most delegates, the will of the majority? Or was that better represented by a first past the post? And this isn't an answer that I can give you in a video like this. This is questions that political scientists and economics people and everywhere else that are actually looking at these issues discuss every day. There's articles about this stuff every day. But it's worth kind of having the questions, worth engaging with these questions, because I don't know that just first past the post, you put one vote down and then hell or high water, whoever got the most votes win. I don't know that that represents the will of the majority the best, but I also don't know that something like this, preferential voting or this kind of second alignment caucus kind of look matters either. I don't know that that represents the will of the majority better. So I think ultimately what I want to say in this video is there are tactical voting situations. Those aren't necessarily bad. I'm not sure that Parasite actually was a recipient of any tactical voting, primarily because the director won. But these are questions worth asking. These are interesting discussions to have. And that's really what I want to get across. And it's going to be something worth following as we look at the election season in the U.S. We look at what people recommend. You know, if you've got preferential voting, if you've got these circumstances where you've got an instant runoff, something along those lines, you have a lot of different kind of strategies that you can impose at the ballot box. For instance, one of the most common arguments that people make when you're thinking about voting for somebody in a U.S. election, at least at a national level, is don't vote for your guy because you're just giving your vote away. Your guy is never going to win, and you're essentially helping that person that you really hate to win the day. And you see this argument all across things like the Democratic debates. You'll see the same argument if there's a viable third-party candidate once the general election starts. And one of the things that preferential voting and runoffs and everything else gets around is that notion. 
you do have something more akin to the will of the majority, at least individually expressed by a voting system that says, yeah, this guy's my favorite, but I'd much rather have, uh, you know, uh, Obama rather than Mitt Romney. I'd much rather have that, even though maybe I love Sanders or, or somebody else that I want to give my vote to or, or vice versa. And so you can have those preferences and maybe you do wind up with something that is more representative of the will of the majority. And I think all these voting systems are worth taking a new look at, uh, worth kind of consistently evaluating. And I think a lot of us take for granted whatever the current system is. That's the way it's always been done. That's the way it always should be done. And I think if we're not trying to improve really every day, in this particular instance about political science and about voting for movies of all things, if we're not trying to improve every day, then we're just being stagnant. And there are always ways to improve because human beings make mistakes. We are error prone and we see it all the time. Iowa maybe is too complicated. Maybe the app reporting didn't work because having various, not necessarily technically sufficient people in these various roles, taking these six different counts and sending them in uh, to a county head and all this stuff. Maybe that's too complicated. Maybe we need a better system just for getting the numbers across the line. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But ultimately, that's what I would say. If you take anything away from this video, from this episode of Virtual Legality, it's that, yeah, there can be tactical voting. There can be strategic voting. Don't think it happened yesterday with respect to Parasite. Happened a little bit with respect to Mayor Pete. But overall, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing if it gets us closer and closer to actually having some determination of what the most people want, like, and advocate for. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you like this, please like, please subscribe, please tell your friends. If you could tell people about this, I really would appreciate it. I think that's a good way to help us grow and certainly what I want to be aimed at in February and beyond in 2020. Otherwise, if you saw this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. 